You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Al-Qaeda online sources cheer the Taliban's ascendancy. The new rulers of Afghanistan are likely to have acquired a good deal of sensitive data, along with political rule and a quantity of U.S.-supplied military equipment. Terrorist watch list data were found in an exposed server, now taken offline. Connections between gangland and the Russian intelligence. T-Mobile was hacked, but it's unclear what, if any, data were compromised. Joe Kerrigan on flytrap Android malware compromising thousands of Facebook accounts. Our guest is Liam Omerchu from Symantec on what keeps him up at night. And some personal information was exposed in the Colonial Pipeline incident. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, August 17th, 2021. As has been widely foreseen, the Taliban victory in Afghanistan has been generally celebrated in extreme Islamist quarters of the internet. The Wall Street Journal has an overview of the relevant activity in social media. The faithful remnant of al-Qaeda, an ally the Taliban never repudiated, and a terrorist group that's much diminished, has been particularly prominent in hailing the Taliban conquest of the country, seeing in the fall of Kabul a vindication of their patient endurance. In this case, the inspiration may be at least as important as the prospect of regaining a territorial safe haven. The sad, immediate, and forthcoming human toll of the Taliban's success has rightly dominated coverage of the news from that country, but it's worth mentioning another secondary risk, the threat to sensitive data the events present. CNN reported that on Friday, the U.S. Embassy in Kabul, anticipating trouble, instructed diplomatic staff in the country to destroy sensitive material and anything which could be misused in propaganda efforts. The Washington Post observes that the U.S. probably removed, rendered inaccessible and secure clouds or simply destroyed data it held as its forces withdrew. Emergency destruction can take many forms, including consumption by fire and government offices, particularly those in the Departments of State and Defense, have long given thought about how to dispose of sensitive material quickly. But it can be difficult to destroy all the sensitive data, and it seems almost inevitable that some material will have been overlooked or lost. That's to say nothing of the large amounts of information the U.S. shared with the now-deposed Afghan government. These are now, for the most part, almost certainly in Taliban hands, 
along with quantities of military equipment also seized in the general collapse. We mentioned the Post's note that the U.S. held a great deal of its data in cloud as opposed to local storage, and while that would seem to provide a margin of security during an evacuation, the cloud can also be leaky. An unrelated incident shows how not all sensitive data governments hold in clouds are held securely. On July 19th, researcher Bob Dychenko found an FBI-administered terrorist screening center watch list exposed online and that day reported his discovery to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. The exposed server was taken down on August 9th. Researchers at Analyst One, a threat intelligence shop headquartered in Reston, Virginia, just across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C., outline what they've found with respect to the Russian government's toleration and enabling of ransomware gangs. The firm says it's established connections between Russia's SVR and FSB, both successor agencies of the Soviet KGB, and some well-known gangs. They're said to have employed individual criminals and their organizations in its operations. The FSB, Analyst One says, employed one ransomware gang and a second criminal group that specialized in banking malware. They've also seen code similarities between Ryuk ransomware and the CEDO espionage tool, which suggests some cross-fertilization between gangland and Russian intelligence services. CEDO was also used to collect data from the SWIFT banking system. Operationally, the researchers perceive connections between the Evil Corp gang and the Silverfish APT implicated, along with Cozy Bear, in the 2020 exploitation of solar winds. Several of the figures mentioned in dispatches will be familiar. Take one, Yevgeny Mikhailik Bogachev, a well-known Russian cybercriminal associated with the Zeus malware and indicted by the U.S. on multiple counts in 2012. Mr. Bogachev has, Analyst One concludes, prepared a new version of Zeus malware to infect government and military targets, including intelligence agencies affiliated with Ukraine, Turkey, and Georgia. Since his indictment, Mr. Bogachev has resided comfortably on the lam at home with his tracksuits and exotic cats as he remains out of the FBI's reach, by some reports genteely rusticated to his backsea yacht. Bogachev's colleagues in the business club went on to organize, Analyst One says, Evil Corp., and that gang has effectively worked as a privateer for Moscow's security and intelligence organs. T-Mobile confirms that it was indeed the subject of a cyber attack, Vice reports, but the mobile provider is still investigating whether customer data were compromised in the incident. Data breach today covers underworld rumblings that the data will soon be offered for sale, but the carrier's inquiry remains in progress. And finally, the ransomware incident at Colonial Pipeline has also resulted in the compromise of some personal information. The Daily Signal reports that almost 6,000 people, current or former employees or members of employees' families, had their data accessed during the attack. Colonial Pipeline has notified those affected. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta, 
Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program. Quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. My guest today is Liam Omerku, director of the Security Response Group at Symantec. Like a lot of security professionals these days, he's been focused on helping organizations protect themselves from ransomware. So it started off a couple of years ago with a profit-sharing model whereby if you contributed uh, to the successful ransomware, you got a percentage of the ransom. Uh, so they were no longer paying you know, $10 to get onto a machine. Now they were paying potentially millions of dollars, um, a, a percentage of the ransom at least. And those ransoms have been growing uh, $40 million is an example that we saw, we saw recently. So I think the first thing is the economic model. There's just a huge incentive for anybody in the underground to participate in these affiliate programs to take a slice of that very large payout. And so that's one thing. And then the other thing is the aggressiveness. The ransomware gangs have really understood that the way they're going to make the most money is by getting the ransom paid quickly and moving on to, to their next victim. So they've really stepped up the aggressiveness there, um, all the way from you know creating leak sites where they, when they steal information from a victim, they will then publish that slowly on the underground where they're leaking financial information or confidential information IP. Um, so that's kind of you know maybe a couple of years old, but they've also added um, phone calls, getting the phone calls for your executives and calling them up. Um, threatening them, doing DDoS against uh, enterprises' websites, and just trying to leak embarrassing details. We had we saw uh, an event recently where the CEO was having an affair, and they leaked details about the affair. That was one of the ways to wrap up the pressure and try to get the 
uh, the companies to pay the, the money as quickly as possible. And that really means that there's more victims because they can um, get into an environment quickly. They understand as well that they don't need to encrypt every machine in your environment. If they can find the critical machines in your environment and encrypt them, then put pressure on you to pay the ransom as quickly as possible, then they can move on to their next victim. So they've really sped up the whole infection to ransom payout cycle, um, which again leads to more victims. And then, of course, the, the last thing is the, the immunity if you if you live in Russia, right? We've really, that's really coming mm. to play um, in the last while. And we see that in the news, in politics, uh, statements from the White House, you know, sanctions against some of the ransomware groups like Or Evil, where they know who the attackers are, they know they're in Russia, they know their identity, but they're unable to, the authorities are unable to get any action taken to uh, have these people arrested or, 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 you know, taken in. So all of that together creates sort of a perfect storm where ransomware is kind of out of control right now. We're seeing, you know, so many victims pop up in the news all of the time. The ransoms are getting are getting huge and it's just a very big concern for all enterprises right now. You know, as you mentioned, I mean, we hear all these stories in the news about companies being hit, organizations, even, you know, municipalities. Are there examples of folks who have properly prepared uh, find themselves hit with ransomware, but because they've done everything right ahead of time are able to pretty much continue, implement their backup plans and go on without a hitch? Yes, yes, yes. We, we see that all the time. The problem is they don't make the news. Um, right. So we we do see that. Um, it's just that the bad news is what's uh, being promoted. But there are you know the there are a lot of companies that are not properly prepared for this. But when we see companies properly prepared, normally what we see is that they're they're attacked. Uh, the attacker may get in successfully, even if the attacker gets in successfully. The amount of damage that they do is limited to a small number of computers. Even if they can move laterally, they're not able to move throughout the entire organization. Um, and a small number of machines will get hit, especially for a, a large enterprise with you know fifty thousand or a hundred thousand or more endpoints or machines to, to protect. They might have ten or fifteen machines um, that are affected by this. And in those cases, it's pretty straightforward for the for the enterprise to be able to just uh, rebuild those machines and can't sort of ignore the ransom and make sure that however the attackers got in that they're uh, blocking that in future. So that's the scenario that we see where we have unsuccessful, you know, apart from the, all of the ransomware attacks that are just blocked on a day-to-day basis that, you know, we don't even really report on, um, the ones that do get through, that's what we see when an enterprise is successfully prepared for this sort of scenario. You know, the attackers are using a lot of different uh, techniques. They're um, still using, Packers are still um, customizing their uh, payloads and they're still doing memory injection. They're still um, doing a lot of traditional things. They may have wrapped them up in in slightly new clothes, but they're doing a lot of the traditional things, which uh, security products are able to uh, protect against. And something that you know, in security response, uh, in semantic, that's what we do on a daily basis: is we monitor for all the changes in the threat landscape um, and, and protect against all of those. Um, so you know, you really want to make sure that you are running um, some sort of uh, endpoint protection that's going to be able to protect against all of the traditional attacks um, that are all cum- culminating in what ransomware attackers are doing right now. Our thanks to Symantec's Liam Omerku for joining us.
And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, Some interesting research from the folks over at Zimperium. Uh, This is titled Flytrap Android Malware Compromises Thousands of Facebook Accounts. What's going on here, Joe? Well, they think this is a threat actor out of Vietnam. Hmm. And they have this uh, Trojan that initially spread through the Google Play Store and third-party app stores. Okay. Uh, and the hook was a coupon app, right? Oh, get okay. Get some coupons, like get some free Netflix uh, or maybe get some Google AdWords coupon codes. Okay. Or there was also the opportunity to vote for your favorite soccer team. I mean, All right. I don't know who has favorite soccer teams. <laughs> okay. Uh, but once you started interacting with this, uh, this app, it would lead you through a process that would eventually say, okay, well, in order to collect your coupon, you need to log into Facebook. Mm. And that was just a credential harvesting uh, app that would then exfiltrate your data out to the command and control servers. Hmm. But they also had an interesting uh, way of stealing credentials here as well. They didn't just steal just the credentials, but they had a way of injecting JavaScript into a web view component that is a legitimate component on Android. Mm-hmm. And then the injected JavaScript will will also exfiltrate your your uh, session tokens out to the command and control server, hmm. which is, which I think is really interesting hmm. on how that works. I mean, not not that it's great that these people are losing their session cookies. Right, um, but it's clever. But it's clever. Yeah. Uh, it gets better, Dave. <laughs> By better, do you mean worse? Yes, of course. <laughs> okay, go on. <laughs> do, I ever mean, do I ever actually mean better when right. I say that? No, Zimperium found the command and control server. Okay. Right now, it's secured by a password, but guess what? There's a vulnerability on that server that, if you exploit it, uh, just shows you all of the database of all of the compromised credentials and tokens out hmm. there. So, if if you've been victimized by this account, or by this uh, Trojan, rather, all of your information is available to anybody who has the wherewithal to go look for it. Wow! Not just the attackers, but anybody who wants to attack the attackers. What uh, What are they recommending in terms of protecting yourself against this thing? Okay, well, good question. The first thing that's happening right now is this thing is spreading via messages uh, sent from compromised phones. So I see. If, if you get a message from somebody, don't click the link. Right? Yeah, somebody says, hey, check out this great app where I can vote on my favorite soccer team. Right, yeah, don't do that. Okay. Don't do that because that's going to lead you to some third-party site with, with another version of the uh, infected Trojan. So don't click on any links that somebody sends you. Uh, the other the other thing you can do is uh, always 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 have multi-factor authentication on your on your social media accounts. Right. You know there are some indicators of compromise on here as well. But uh, you know if you don't have a malware detection application on your phone, uh, you you'll probably never know that you've been compromised. Hmm. Uh, you can go into your Facebook account and log yourself out of everything if you still have control over it. Oh. Uh, that's a good way to kill those session tokens that may have been exfiltrated. Right, uh, and then change your password. And then change your password and enable two-factor authentication, and you should be good. Huh. If you're worried that you've been compromised, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. One thing uh, I thought was, um, go curious, I guess, is a way to say it. Uh, the Zimperium folks include a map of all the areas that have been hit by this, and one area is uh, conspicuous in its absence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what is that, Joe? China. China. China's not, uh, not been hit by this. Hmm. Neither has anybody in Iran. Yeah. Um, what a crazy random happenstance. Yeah. It's, uh, there are a couple other countries that aren't, aren't on the list as well, like Ireland, not notorious for being a, uh, an oppressive regime. But, right, um, right. but China and Iran both have strict controls uh, on 
what their people see. And actually, in China, WeChat is much bigger than uh, Facebook is. Right, right. So it may not it, it may not be that uh, the folks who are running this are specifically avoiding those areas, although it could be. Oh, it could be, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, again, this is uh, from the folks over at Zimperium, and uh, it's titled Flytrap Android Malware Compromises Thousands of Facebook Accounts. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining it's us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.